In Acts 2.21, the Apostle Peter said that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Inasmuch as this verse clearly states that the required action results in being saved, it is essential that we find out what exactly it means to call on His name. Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is your host and Bible teacher, Pastor Gregory Riggin. Thank you, Brother Goff, and thank you to everyone who's listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all of those who tune in. On last week's podcast, I addressed the subject of accepting Christ as your personal Savior, something much of the church world says is the way people are saved. The Bible, however, nowhere states such a thing. Furthermore, the Scripture actually says the opposite. Rather than accepting Christ, we must become acceptable to Him. Part of the podcast last week was used to deal with the various passages which people say promote accepting Christ. The last one I mentioned was Acts 2.21, and I said it would take a little longer to explain than the others. I also stated that I've produced an entire Bible study that's based on this one verse alone. On today's episode, I want to take you through the basic concepts shared in that Bible study. As I get started, let me begin by saying if we truly want to understand this verse, we're going to have to forget our traditions, ignore the commentators, and look to the scriptures. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the verse in question. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful promise. Salvation will come to whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Since that's true, it behooves us to find out what it means to call on the name of the Lord. I think it would be safe to say that since much of the church world today instructs people to pray the sinner's prayer, they obviously believe that this is what it means to call on the name of the Lord. Nevertheless, we need to find out if that is what the Bible says. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but... He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So, according to the Lord Himself, not everyone who simply cries out to Him or prays a simple prayer will actually be saved. Obviously, then, repeating that simple sinner's prayer is not sufficient. However, while Jesus does not tell us that salvation comes to all of those who cry out to him, he does say that everyone who does the will of the Father will be saved. It's incumbent upon us then to find out what the will of the Father is with regard to salvation. The Apostle Peter gave us some insight about God's will concerning salvation. He wrote in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There are two very important factors which we discover in this verse. First, God's will is that no one be lost. 
He wants everyone to be saved. Of course, we've already learned from Jesus' statement in Matthew 7, however, that not everyone will be saved. That leads us to the second thing we see in 2 Peter 3.9. That is, that God's will is that everyone should repent. Inasmuch as Acts 2.21 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, calling on the name of the Lord must include repentance. If praying the sinner's prayer would keep men from perishing, then Peter would have said it was God's will that all should pray the sinner's prayer. Instead, he said it was God's will that all should come to repentance. Now, it should be noted that real repentance involves a number of things, not just the repetition of a simple prayer. Repentance involves a godly sorrow for the sins that you've committed. This is stated in 2 Corinthians 7.10, which says that godly sorrow worketh repentance. Real repentance also involves confessing and forsaking sin. Proverbs 28.13 tells us, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now please note that this is not confessing your sins to a man. It's talking about confessing them to God. In order to forsake sin, you must literally turn away from it. Therefore, if we're going to scripturally call on the name of the Lord, we're going to have to change our lifestyle. Consider the question Jesus asked in Luke 6.46 when he said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? My friends, we must obey Jesus if we are to call on his name. 2 Timothy 2.19 tells us that the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Once again, let me reiterate that God is not willing that any should perish, but he wants all men to repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, that except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Thus, the first thing we learn about calling on the name of the Lord is that it involves repentance. The Apostle Paul gave us further insight into what calling on the name of the Lord involves. Listen to what he said when he gave his personal testimony before an angry crowd. Acts 22, verses 12 through 16. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here, Paul said that the process of having his sins washed away through baptism was part of calling on the name of the Lord. Now remember, we must obey the Lord's commands in order to truly call on his name. 
And the fact is, one of his commands was that we be baptized. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In another passage, Jesus also said that the way we believe on him is through the words of his apostles. In John 17, 20, we read, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. One of the things his apostles commanded was baptism in Jesus' name. Consider Acts 10, verses 46 through 48, which tells the story of the first Gentile converts. While Peter was preaching to them, they received the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues. Even though this was the case, Peter did not just walk away rejoicing as though they were now saved. Instead, notice what happened. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So, calling on the name of the Lord involves doing the will of the Father, which requires repentance. It also requires water baptism in Jesus' name. Now, so that we can discover what else is involved in calling on the name of the Lord, we're going to look at the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah 13.9, we find where Jehovah makes the following promise, I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. Now, although I don't plan to get into the interpretation of this verse, I do want to use it to point out a principle. Fire is a refining agent. And God intends for his people to be refined by fire. Just as a jeweler might use a blowtorch to refine gold or silver, God uses the fire of the Holy Ghost to purify his followers. Consider the words of John the Baptist as recorded in Matthew 3 verses 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When you compare the words of Zechariah, who prophesied that God would refine his people with fire, to the words of John the Baptist, you realize that part of the process of calling on the name of the Lord involves receiving the Holy Ghost. This should not surprise us. After all, Jesus said this would be a part of true believing. In John 7, verse 38, he said, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. These words are explained in verse 39, which says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. 
Now, there's one final thing that needs to be pointed out as a part of calling on the name of the Lord, according to the scriptural definition. Once again, we'll go to the Old Testament. Consider the words of the prophet Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord, to serve him with one consent. What an interesting statement. In order to call upon the name of the Lord, the people need to be given a pure language. Let's think about this. Can you name a language that God would define as pure? Is there a language on earth which has no profanity? Is there a language which has never been used to tell a lie? Is there a language today that has no words to describe the evil deeds of men? No, there is none. Obviously, our corrupt languages cannot be used to call upon the name of the Lord. How then is Zephaniah's prophecy fulfilled? Well, I'm glad you ask. You see, when a person repents of his sins and is baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of those sins, God sends the Holy Ghost fire for purification. And notice what happens when the Holy Ghost comes. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you see, with the baptism of the Spirit comes a new tongue or new language which is foreign to the new believer. He doesn't know what the words mean. He has no idea what he's saying. Therefore, he cannot corrupt the language. While speaking in tongues, a person does not know how to curse, lie, or describe wickedness. The utterances are given by the Holy Ghost. When God is speaking through a person, you can rest assured that language is pure. Look again at Zephaniah 3.9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. That pure language is given for the purpose that people may call upon the name of the Lord. Now, compare that with our text. Acts 2.21 says, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. However, if you never speak in the pure language, you've never scripturally called on the name of the Lord. Therefore, you are not scripturally saved. Now, let's review what I've shown you in this study. To begin with, we've seen that calling on the name of the Lord involves repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the Holy Ghost, which is evidenced by speaking in tongues. But can we be sure this is what is meant by the phrase calling on the name of the Lord? Of course we can. All we have to do is keep reading in the same chapter of the same book where the verse in question appears. We can't just take Acts 2.21 by itself without establishing the context of that verse. The Apostle Peter is the one who spoke those words to the crowd gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Verse 21 was the approximate midpoint of his sermon that day. There were important things he said both before and after that particular verse. 
Since that verse deals with salvation, however, what we need to do is to compare it with what else Peter said that involves salvation during that same message. As he came to the conclusion of his sermon, the penitent multitude asked Peter how to be saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? If anyone understood what was meant by whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, it was obviously the man who spoke those words. Therefore, when these people ask a few minutes later how to be saved, his answer had to be the definition of that phrase. So what response did he give? Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter told the crowd to do the very things we have learned were a part of calling on the name of the Lord. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the Holy Ghost. Friend, if you want to be saved, you must call on the name of the Lord. And if you want to scripturally call on the name of the Lord, you must repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. As I bring this podcast to a close, I want to say that if you have questions about this or any other Bible subject, please feel free to contact me directly by sending an email to bishop at olathetruth.com. I would count it an honor to address your questions from the pages of Scripture. Also, if you live in Olathe or the Kansas City area and are interested in a free in-home Bible study, we would be honored to take you through the Word of God via Zoom or some other form of electronic media. These Bible studies only take one hour and, depending on the subject matter, range from one to twelve lessons. Again, my email address is bishop at olathetruth.com. Please let us know how we can help you. We want you to know that you are important to us and that we are praying for you, our listeners, on a regular basis. Thank you, Pastor Riggin. And thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our Twitter account, and our website newlifepc.com slash listen until our next podcast take care and God bless